Welcome Chapel Roswell and thank you for spending part of your day with us. Now in just a few minutes, we're gonna have some intriguing dialogue with a local resident, somebody incredibly active in our community, someone with a fascinating background and someone who happens to be black. Now the last few months have been unlike any period in the history of our country. This coronavirus has essentially shut down the nation, shut down our economy, it's closed our schools, it shuttered a lot of businesses, and obviously it's closed a lot of churches. I'd like to think that even though our doors at Chapel Roswell are closed, our hearts and our hands are not. But throughout this pandemic, we've been forced to look internally. We're looking internally at our lives. Am I staying safe? Am I staying healthy? We're able to look at ourselves, trying to make sure that we don't come down with any sickness or illness. We've been looking inward. But over the last couple of weeks on the news, you can see peaceful demonstrations. You can see cell phone video of some injustice on to uh, African-Americans. You can see a lot of racial injustice going on, a lot of call for more African-American and white dialogue. It's as if God has said, okay, you guys have been looking internally at yourselves, but now the next part of that is to look externally, to look at those people in your community, those people in your lives. Are we looking inward or are we now focusing outward to reach our brothers and sisters in Christ, regardless of their background, regardless of their goals or expectations, regardless certainly of the color of their skin? Now, there's been a lot of talk about repentance, people saying that they're sorry for things that they've said in the past. Maybe some sort of social media post from years ago has come up in which maybe there was a racist comment and politicians to everyday people have been forced to recant. They've been forced to apologize. They've said, you know what? I did something stupid. I did something I shouldn't have done. I repent or I apologize. But the truth is true repentance is drastically different than is an apology. Nowhere in scripture do you find the word apology, but all throughout scripture, Old Testament and New Testament, we find the word repentance. A lot of talk throughout scripture of repentance. To apologize means to say, I am sorry that I did something that hurt you. To apologize means that I say, I'm really sorry that I said something or did something that offended you. But to repent is totally different. The New Testament was obviously uh, written in Greek. And so if you look at the Greek language for the word repent, that verb, what does it say? Well, the Greek word for the verb to repent, it literally means to change one's direction, to change one's mind. I can apologize to you for something I've said, but to truly repent, it means that I am changing my ways. I'm changing my direction. In Acts chapter 3, verse 19, we have just a great synopsis, a great summary of what repentance truly means. Acts 3, 19, it says, Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. To repent, to apologize? No, they're far from the same, not even in the same atmosphere or the same universe when it comes to things like that. To apologize, yeah, I'm sorry, I should not have done that. Or maybe I apologize because I'm, I'm sad that I was caught. But to repent means that we truly turn away from our past actions, our past attitudes, our past words, our past thoughts. Look at it this way. 
If I'm turning over here, okay, I'm, I'm turning in a new direction, but by turning over there, I'm turning my back on what's over here. Likewise, when we turn to Jesus, when we turn to God, when we turn to Scripture, we're turning towards that and we're turning our back onto something else. We're turning our back on those things that we used to think, those things that we used to do, those things that we used to say. When we truly repent, we're turning towards something and by the very nature of that, we're turning our back on something else. Okay, Joe, someone may ask, am I turning away from my own comfort? Am I turning away from the ways in which I used to do things? Am I turning away from things that I thought that may not have been right? Am I turning away from past actions uh, so that I can be the person that God is calling me to be? If I repeat, repent rather, for something that I have said, I'm changing my direction, I'm changing my mind, I'm changing my attitude. Do I really have a heart for those who are hurting? Can I repent from my former ways in which I've been focused on my own agenda, my own desires? Can I repent for not taking a stand against injustice that goes on all around me? Can I turn to that uh, that God's calling me to turn toward and, and turn my back on that past comfort or that past white privilege that maybe I've lived with? I'm not racist. Very often when somebody says that, you know that something uncomfortable is about to come. I'm not racist, I would like to say, but you know what? I've never tried to imagine what it would be like to walk a mile in someone else's shoe. I'm not a racist, uh, but, but do I take action when I see social injustice going on around me? I'm not a racist, but do I go out of my way to truly make a difference in my community, in my own sphere of influence? Right now, we're going to do something that I hope will bless you. It certainly blessed me. We're going to have some dialogue with a gentleman known as Lee Jenkins. He's a pastor in our community, but he's so much more than that. A fascinating local man with a truly intriguing past. I hope that you'll be blessed by this. And I hope that you and I can truly try to understand what it's like to truly repent, to turn towards something, to turn away from something, and to see what it might be like to walk in someone else's shoes. Lee Jenkins grew up in Atlanta, and he played college football at the University of Tennessee, where he was also the president of the Fellowship of Christian Athletes. He had a brief NFL career that was cut short due to injuries. He then went into the music industry, where he served as the business manager for both the Winans and Kirk Franklin. Jenkins then spent about 25 years in financial services, serving as the vice president for two Wall Street firms. He's come to be regarded as one of the nation's leading financial advisors and educators. He's been featured on Fox News, CNN, CBS, NBC, ABC, and the USA Today. He's also the author of two best-selling books. Lee Jenkins heads up the Lee Jenkins Group, which is a ministry outreach and financial education firm. He's the founding pastor of the Eagle's Nest Church here in Roswell. Jenkins is active in the Roswell community, and he was recently named as one of the 70 most influential black Christians in the United States. Jenkins has been married to Martika for over 30 years. They have three grown children, a daughter and two sons, both of whom played college football. 
Lee Jenkins is a highly sought-after speaker and consultant, and we are so blessed to have a few minutes with Lee Jenkins via Zoom. But Pastor Lee, the, um, the issue of racial justice has been in the news a whole lot lately. Will this, in your opinion, lead to a lasting change? And if so, what does that look like? Well, first of all, this is not a new problem. Um, our country has been plagued with this problem, uh, in fact, with this sin, for 400 plus years. And um, now, many African Americans, we have felt the brunt of this because um, we have had to live with a lot of injustices literally every day of our lives. Uh, we are the only group of people in America who came here against our own will through slavery. And then we were the only people in America who were denied our basic rights, like voting like being able to live where we wanted to live or go to, go to the school that we wanted to go to. Uh, so some of those basic things that should have been the rights of all Americans, because that's what the Constitution says and that's what we have uh, you know, promised Americans, we had to fight for, we had to protest for. So this is nothing new for most African Americans. What we're seeing now is um, a lot of these um, uh, incidents being caught with these things right here, mobile phones. And so now the whole world is able to see some of the things that we have been complaining about for decades. So um, in order to go forward, you have to understand something about your past. If you go to a doctor and you have a symptom, if it's a good physician, they will ask you to fill out a form about your history in your family's medical history. Because that physician knows that a lot of the things that you are experiencing in the present and a lot of what can determine whether you get well in the future is determined by what you have done in your past. So if you have a family that has a history of heart disease or history of high blood pressure, then that doctor needs to know that in order to treat you properly. It is the same when it comes to race. Many of us have either denied or ignored or don't understand the power of racism, and we haven't dealt with it properly. And so uh, that's one of the reasons that um, I believe we are still kind of stuck at 2020 dealing with this thing. So what do we do? Here's very simply what we need to do. I mean, if I had to encapsulate it in one statement, and that would be, we cannot cure what we will not confront. Let me say that again. We cannot cure what we will not confront. So we have to confront it if we want to ever cure it. We would not ignore cancer. So we would talk about it. We would try to find cures. We would do all we can to cure cancer. And we need to do that with racism. So I am very optimistic. Um, very frustrated that it has taken this long, very frustrated that it has taken almost the perfect scenario, the confluence of many factors uh, to really show, and I'm gonna say even to prove to our white brothers and sisters that this is a real problem. But I'm optimistic because I'm seeing people working together, 
for the first time in my lifetime. I'm seeing people concerned. I'm seeing people showing compassion. So I believe that this is a great opportunity to make a difference and to be salt and light to the earth. Wow. The Christian church at times really hasn't stepped up to racism, other issues as well. But why is that? Most Christians would say, hey, we're not racist people, but yet racial um, injustice profiling, it still goes on. What do we as a church do to combat this? Well, the church has been one of the biggest impediments to curing racism. In fact, uh, the white church. Now, please don't let that statement offend you because it is the same statement that Dr. Martin Luther King used quite often, especially in his letter from the Birmingham jail. He said that the, uh, the lack of, uh, of a voice, he said the silence, that's what he said, the silence and the lack of engagement from his white brothers and sisters who were Christian, who were Christians was the most disappointing thing, even more disappointing than the Ku Klux Klan was the silence of the white Christian church. So silence actually perpetuates violence and injustice. When good people don't say anything, then evil takes over. So in the church realm, um, we have relegated social justice issues to non-biblical issues, and it is biblical. Righteousness, and justice is important to God. And I'm, I'm generalizing here with this statement, but in many white Christian evangelical churches, they stress righteousness, 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 which is our vertical relationship with God. Uh, things like abortion and many other things are, at, are a high priority, as it should be. And many churches that are predominantly African-American, many of them stress justice, 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 which is our horizontal relationship with man and our brothers and sisters. In fact, the Bible says, how can you love God and you hate your brother? So what we need is a balance of both. We need righteousness and justice. So the white Christian church overall has not been willing to look at a lot of the issues of justice, but I believe it is because they haven't experienced what we have experienced. So if you don't have the same history of another person, you would tend not to believe them or it would be very hard to empathize with them. So the beauty of what is going on right now, and I hate to call it beauty because it's really ugly, but the beauty of it is the exposure of what has been very common in many African-Americans' lives. Uh, are coming to light now and white people are seeing it and they're beginning to understand what we've been talking about. Like now for the Christian church to say, okay, we, we, we've talked a good game, but we haven't done enough about it, if anything about it. What does this look like going forward? And what can we, for example, as a predominantly white church do to, uh, to bring about racial justice and understanding? That's a great question. And, and thank you for asking that question because uh, I like to make the statements. We all came over here on uh, different ships. You might've come over on the Mayflower, my ancestors, or, or your ancestors might've come over on the May Mayflower. My ancestors might've come over on slave ships. So we might've come over here on different ships, but when it comes to solving this racial problem, 
we're in the same boat right now. So what do our white brothers and sisters in the Christian church need to do? I wanna give you four quick things, and they all start with an L. Uh, the first thing is listen, listen. That is very important. One of the highest compliments that you could give a human being is to listen to them talk and to express themselves about their pain. And don't interrupt them. Don't say, well, what about this? What about this? Don't try to act like an expert because you're not an expert because you haven't gone through what we have gone through for generations. So I want to encourage my white brothers and sisters to listen and let your, your black friends or find a black friend or acquaintance and just listen to their story. Number two, you need to learn. That means that you need to read books. You need to, uh, you need to learn about the history of America from maybe a different perspective than what you have been taught in the past. Learn, okay? That's very important because a lot of people, oh my God, I hate to say this, they are uh, not listening and they don't know what they're talking about. And it's not a issue of, uh, of intelligence, it is an issue of they just haven't been studying other perspectives and other realities. Number three is to lament. Lamenting means that whatever breaks God's heart ought to break your heart. Whatever breaks my heart as your Christian brother ought to break your heart. Whatever breaks your heart ought to break my heart. This is an opportunity to bear each other's burdens. So if you don't feel bad right now, if you aren't angry about some of these things that have been going on, then I would question whether or not you have a real relationship with Christ and whether you have a heart. But I wanna throw one little caveat in there about lamenting. I have been very disappointed that some of my white brothers and sisters have lamented more over the rioting and the looting and the broken windows and the burned buildings than they have over the broken lives and the people who have died. And so lamenting should be more of lamenting for our brothers and sisters who are human beings than a building or a car or a window that is broken. Now those things I don't condone at all, they are wrong. However, it is frustrating to see some of my white brothers and sisters get more angry about a person busting a glass in a building than they do a man's life being choked out uh, from him because of a knee on his neck. So lamenting, lastly, leveraging, leveraging. Leveraging means you take what you have and you use it for good and you multiply it. And so because white people are the majority culture, because they um, own the majority of the wealth and have the majority of the power, here's what I'm saying. Use it for good, leverage it. Um, when my sons uh, were in high school, they were pretty good football players. And, um, and I played college football at the University of Tennessee. And um, there were some guys on my son's football team that were pretty good, but they didn't have the connections with coaches and so forth that I had. It was easy for me to get my sons recruited because all I had to do was call up some of the coaches that I knew and say, hey man, 
my son is pretty good. You ought to take a look at him. So because these college coaches knew me, because many of them I played with in college or played against, they would take a look at my son. Well, I decided to use my power, to use my position for some other young men who didn't have anyone advocating for them. So I got on the phone to coaches that I knew at Auburn University in Georgia and all these schools and say, hey, there are some kids you need to look at. That's what leveraging is. It is taking your power, taking your position, taking your privilege, taking your influence, taking your voice, and using it for good for somebody else. Listen, learn, lament, and leverage. There are a lot of people who might say, you know what, I'm just one person. What can I do to really make a big difference? One person can make a huge difference. Um, Here's what I'm asking my brothers and sisters to do who are white, and that is, um, if you have black friends, pick up the phone and let them know that you care. You don't have to say perfect words. And here, here's what bothers me about race stuff, is we get so sensitive about it. I know many white people who really care, but they're scared that they may say the wrong thing. Mm. And then they're scared that they may offend the black person. And they, then they just say nothing. So I'm going to encourage you to pick up the phone anyway. You don't have to understand all of it. You don't even have to agree with all of it. But you can still care and tell that person that you care and that you want to know more, you want to hear their story, and you want to be a part of the solution and not a part of the problem. So one relationship at a time helps tremendously. Even though it's a big problem, relationships uh, are the answer.